The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, so let's shift now into Titus. We've got a lot of work ahead of us this morning. We've got a fun road ahead of us, actually. We've seen a couple themes that have come out of Titus already as we get caught up here. We're going to be in the third chapter of Titus this morning. But what we've seen in Titus so far is that Paul, as he writes this letter to Titus, is concerned about the way the church lives out the gospel. He's concerned with the way the church lives out the gospel, like we've said, to be in this world but not of it. So in chapter 1, he starts with leadership. And as we said, leadership matters, and leadership in the church matters greatly. So Paul starts there with elders, but he does not end there. He then moves into the life of the church, the congregation. He paints this picture of older men and older women, discipling younger men and younger women, and it's just this beautiful picture of what the church is to be. And more than that, like we talked about last week, he uses this word training, and what I love about this word training is that training is not something you do once and then you're done. Training is an ongoing, continual training in the gospel. So that's what we've seen up to this point, and this is the way, what we've seen throughout this, and I'll keep coming back to this, is we live out the gospel not to gain approval from God. We live out the gospel because we are loved by God and we are His. It's a response to, not a way of earning. And so we've talked about this through, throughout this. Because grace has appeared, as we saw last week, we are training And then he sums all this up, and it gets us to where we are this morning in the last verse of chapter 2 that says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Here we see authority being passed down. We see it going from Paul to Titus to the church. What we said is not only does leadership matter, but our response to leadership matters. And he says, declare these things. What are those things, right? Well, as we've seen, these things are both theological and practical. They're both gospel and life. They're both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. They're both encouraging and rebuking. It's the complete gospel that is in view here that we've walked through. And it's not that he's to have a little authority or somewhat of authority. It's that he is to speak with all authority and let no one disregard you. In other words, let no one hear what we're about to say and say, well, that's not for me. I'm going to let, that's really for my neighbor. Let no one disregard you or ignore you In other words, consider all that this letter has for us. Now, here is where we are going to see a shift. See, in the first chapter, as I said, Paul focuses hard on the church, specifically the leadership in the church. Second chapter, Paul focuses on the members of the church, on our homes and our lives together. But here, as we start into chapter 3, we are going to zoom out further And Paul here is going to look at our lives together in our community. 
with each chapter. It's like we zoom one more step out. So I want to look at chapter three. The first two words are probably the words that we're going to come back to. They are our the most important words for us as we understand this, this chapter. Paul says, remind them. Remind them. This means that what Paul is about to say here, this is not new information. This is, not, this is something that they have heard before. This is something that they have been taught before. This is not new or novel Church, this is a reminder. Honestly, 90% of my job as a gospel preacher, 90% of my job, if I am a faithful gospel preacher, is simply reminding people. It's not to come up with new ideas that are new and novel. It's not to come up with some new insight that's never been discovered before, it is to constantly and faithfully remind. Remind. It's to draw our hearts and minds back to the Word of God to remind. In fact, I'm going to push this further. If you come here and every week you find that I'm just up here dropping new and novel ideas, That is not something to celebrate. That is a cause for deep concern. My hope as a pastor, our hope as elders, is to continually drive us back, remind us over and over and over again, not longing for new or novel things, but for the truth once for all delivered. Again, 90% of my job as a gospel preacher is to remind, and that is so clear as we look at this verse. Now, I, um, I love grammar. It's probably the nerdiest thing I could possibly say. I love grammar. I think if I were given the opportunity to go back to college again, I would focus on grammar. I love it that much. But I, I, I kind of geek out a little bit about it because... There are certain times when grammar just makes this profound impact. And I love the grammar of this word to remind. This verb is, in, is a present tense verb in the imperative mood. And some of you are going, right now, checking out on me completely. I promise you I won't linger long. All right? All this means, come back, all this means is that an accurate way to think about this verb is it is a command to keep on reminding them. It's not a one-time reminder. It's not a past thing. It's not a one-time future thing. It's a keep on reminding them thing. And I mean, think about it. You and I are not forgetful or distracted only once. You and I, maybe it's just me, um, You and I are continually forgetful, continually distracted. So doesn't it make perfect sense that this command would be one that's ongoing? Remind them. Because we keep forgetting, keep on reminding. In other words, the the word remind us, it shows us that Paul has already 
taught the, this church, the Cretan church, about this, how they should live, how they should function in their community, in this pagan culture. This is not new information. But Paul says, because we are prone to forget, let us be faithful to remind. Because we continually forget, let us continually remind. Because we continually get distracted. Squirrel, right? Because that happens. We need continual reminders. So this morning is a morning of reminders. I'm only going to bite off the first two verses, all right? And in this, the first two verses this morning, um, there are seven reminders, and I want to walk through them one by one. And I want to start with the first one. Reminder number one is remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, now, I want to bring out something here. This, obviously, refers to human authorities, right? It refers to human authorities, government authorities, refers to secular authorities, your boss, your manager, uh, even elders and authority in the church. It's human. This is a human-level authority. This refers to the authority on a human level in your life. But I want to help us see a bigger picture with this. Because this also refers to spiritual authorities, uh, ultimately to the authority of God. Because here's the reality. Scripturally, they cannot be separated. Here's what I mean by this. Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, human authorities are part of God's design and overall order for our human society and human flourishing. To be subject to them is to be subject to Him. To obey them is to obey Him. Christians are not, in other words, exempt from obeying people because ultimately we answer to Jesus. In fact, the opposite is true, that our allegiance to Jesus ultimately now leads us as Christians to live in submission and obedience. But don't take this too far, because this obedience has a limit. In other words, when an earthly authority contradicts your heavenly authority, we obey God, we obey His Word. The Bible is so clear that, that this blind, unquestioning obedience to state government, to any leader, to any human authority that leads us in opposition to God's law, God's Word, is not ever required from you. Think about Daniel and the lion's den. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a furnace. Think about Peter and the apostles in Acts 5, when they're told, hey, it's against the law for you to share the gospel. Do you remember what they said? I love this. They said, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, when man tells you one thing and God tells you another, you stand with Peter, you stand with Daniel, you stand with the apostles and you boldly say, I must obey God rather than men. Because when there is a conflict, we must obey God rather than man. At the same time, church, we are called 
by God, and we are called by this text this morning, reminded that we are called to submit. We are called to submit. And it's not just to submit, because Paul says next, remind them not only to submit, but to be obedient. Remind them to be obedient. See, submission, this deals with an attitude, a posture. This deals with our heart, that we're submissive. But we also are called to be obedient. And obedience is not only our attitude, it is our action. It is our actions, how we live our lives. I said at the beginning, and this is why this is important, that this refers not only to just human authority, but ultimately, as we zoom out, to the authority of our God over us. And I think this is so important because, hear me, this is going to impact, your understanding of that is going to impact what you do when you think no one is looking. It'll impact how you live your life when you think no one sees. Let me give you an easy example. Imagine you're called to go into work early, really early. I mean, frustratingly early. And um, you just, you, you, you get up, you're a bit tired, you're a bit frustrated. It honestly cuts into your morning. I'm a routine guy, just throws all those routines out the window. You're out and up early, you're frustrated, but like a good employee, you get up and you get it done. You get in your car, it's still dark outside, and you look around and there is just no one on the road. It's like a ghost town. Why is that? Because they're still in their warm homes. Why is that? More likely, they're still in their warm beds. Wherever they are, they're not here. And you are out, just you, and you're brooding. You're just brooding a little bit, a little frustrated, right? And then you approach the single most annoying stop sign that has ever been dug into the ground. I mean, it's annoying on a good day when there's actually cars. It's not even needed then, right? But this morning, with no cars on the road, it's absurd. It is a waste of time. So you approach, you slow down. You're looking to make sure there are no cops in sight. Make sure no one is there to see you. Coast is clear. But then right before, right before you gun it through, just something catches your heart, and in all your brooding and frustration, you push the pedal. Not the gas pedal, brake pedal. And your car comes to a stop. And then you go about your day. By the way, you're still brooding. Didn't like magically make you happy or anything. You're still brooding. But you go about your day. Now, what's the big deal? I mean, some of you are like, Pastor, get over it. It's, are you legalistic here? This is just a stop sign. It didn't hurt anyone. No one even saw. Doesn't really matter. Church, it matters. It matters. And here is why this matters. Your obedience to human authorities is your obedience to your heavenly authority. And although your human authorities may have not or would have not seen, 
Your heavenly authority does because there is nothing hidden from him. And as crazy as a little stop sign example might sound at first, as crazy as it might sound, your obedience to stop your car and to obey the law is ultimately your obedience to your God and ultimately a real-life way for you to worship him. It may feel small, but church is not. It is not. Now, your salvation's not based on your works. Your salvation's not based on how well you stop at stop signs or your obedience at all. Anything you bring to the table. You are saved by grace and grace alone. You are not saved because you are good. You are saved because he is good. That is absolutely true. But now for those who have been saved by grace through faith, We get this incredible opportunity now to live our lives in obedience to him, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him. And on early mornings when you're brooding, that could look as simple as stopping at a stop sign when no one else sees other than your God. Why does it matter? Because you are stopping your car as a worship act to your God through obedience, and he's the only audience that truly matters. So be submissive to rulers and authorities and remind them to be obedient. And then Paul builds on this, and he says, remind them to be ready for every good work. And I really love this. Last week, we saw the word be zealous for good works. We saw that last week. Here, what I love about this is he takes what could be kind of passive and he makes it active. A better word is proactive. Here's what I mean. You can read obedience, and we could take a very passive posture. I'm just going to like obey the laws. I'll stop at the stop sign. But Paul doesn't leave it here. He pushes it further to this proactive, active posture to be ready for every good work. Don't just not do bad things. It's be ready for good things. Be ready for every good work. Not only making sure that you don't live as a disobedient citizen, not only make sure that you're stopping at the stop sign, but to be ready to do good in your community. We've been talking about this a lot because it's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Titus. We saw this the last couple weeks as we've talked about shalom a lot. Shalom is being ready for every good work. It is actively bringing the peace of Christ to our community, making our city a better place, doing good, letting our light shine, being salt. It takes us from just stopping at a stop sign in obedience to serving our community, from obeying laws to impacting our community for Jesus. It's like Paul said in chapter 2, adorning the gospel. It's making it look good to our community. It's ultimately what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when he says that they may see your good works and what? Not praise you for it, but praise your Father in heaven, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, I know that you know all this. I'm not here to tell you anything new. I'm here to remind you. Remind, Paul is reminding you, be submissive to your rulers and authority. Be obedient, church. 
Be ready for every good work. And now Paul is going to drill it down into our relationships, into our community. He's going to give us four more reminders. Each one of these are communal reminders. And each one of these are are meant to remind us together as a community. First, he says, remind them to speak evil of no one. In other words, remind them not to slander. Christians are to slander no one. The Greek term here will sound familiar. Blasphemeo. Sound familiar? It's where we get our word blaspheme. And I thought this was really interesting because I never think of blaspheme on a human-to-human level. When I think of blasphemy, I don't know why, I think about it as God. I think about it as Jesus, the Spirit, blaspheming, right? But Scripture equally recognizes this and condemns blasphemy toward each other. At the core, blasphemy is just the spoken or written or texted or tweeted or posted, fill whatever you do. Um, It's the spoken evil or malicious thoughts that are directed to a person who you don't like, who you hold in a bit of contempt. That is blasphemy at the core. And as you can see, that's not something that we only do with God. That's something we do easily to each other. And Paul says, remind them that they should not do that. Remind them not to slander. Remind them not to speak evil of another person. Before we press on here, can we think of more of a countercultural idea than this? Our society, our media, our social media is built on slander. It's like the gas for the car. It, it, it is. And one of the most countercultural things that you and I could do in the name of Jesus, one thing that would just set us apart as a holy and set apart people, the one thing we could do is simply to take slander out of our speech. Talk about a revolutionary idea for life in 2019. Take slander out of your speech. James says, watch your tongue, it's deadly. And he says, with it you you bless the Lord, and with it you curse people. (laughs) It reminds me of what we just did this morning as we all sing out the gospel Together, we're proclaiming the truth of the gospel together. It's with that same tongue that we just sang that we will now go and through our week tear people down who James said are made in the image of God. Paul says, remind them. Remind them to be countercultural and to slander no one. And let's build on that because the second one is remind them to avoid quarreling. I said that slander was the gas of the car for our media and social media, our society, but man, this is a close second. Arguing. Is it not? <laughs> we love this. I don't know why, but we do. We love this. If this were a sport, if arguing were a sport, Many of us would desire to go pro in this. And um, it's like we get bored. It's like, man, if I could only find someone to argue with. And we scroll. And social media has given us the ability to argue on demand. 
Like, it's wonderful. You could, like, Google or search it and find someone to argue with. But we find it in our relationships online. But it's not only online. We find it in our relationships with people around us. We find it in our offices. We find it in our churches, this desire to quarrel, to argue. This is fruitless and does not build up. I want to say something really difficult here. Christians, we should be willing to defer to others although it may require us to relinquish some of our own rights. Let me say it again. Christians, we should be willing to defer to others, although it may require us to relinquish some of our rights. I I think this might sound familiar. Paul in another place in Philippians 2 says the same thing, only this time he elaborates it on it. He says, he's talking to the church here, and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's really hard to be quarrelsome when you're doing that. He continues, let each of you not only look out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Let me say it again. We remind them to avoid fruitless arguments. Instead, we as Christians, we need to be willing to defer to others, although it may require us to relinquish some of our own rights, the right to be right. Why? Why would we do that? Because it's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly how Jesus lived. Paul says, remind them to have the mind of Jesus they who are Jesus' followers. Remind them to have the mind of Jesus and remind them to avoid quarreling. As simple as this sounds, can we just imagine the impact of this, that this simple reminder could have? <laughs> Profound. Imagine if every Christian right now, boop, right now, every Christian, every person saved by grace, saved by Jesus, would live that out, would just stop quarreling and arguing like that. that. I'm not saying this like with exaggerated language here. That would change the world. It would change everything. Again, this is not new. This is not novel. This is so simple. It's about remembering Jesus, remembering the gospel, remember the way he lived and follow him. It's not new. Paul says, avoid quarreling. And along with the avoid quarreling command, he now gives us the positive, a positive reminder. And he says, remind them to be gentle gentleness. Let's not be confused here. I'm not talking about weakness. I'm not talking about spinelessness. I'm not talking about the art of being a pushover. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true gentleness. That's not gentleness. 
true gentleness that chooses often when, things, when it's so difficult, that chooses kindness, that chooses self-control with our words, that chooses self-control with our tongues. Church, it's really easy to be aggressive. It's really easy to be careless, to be rash, to be quick-tempered. That's the easy road. That's our default. You know what's hard? True strength is found in gentleness. Remind them to avoid quarreling and instead remind them to take the hard road and to be gentle. And lastly with this, remind them to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This one's hard for me because courtesy for me sounds real puny. And it's just not in this text, but it is for me, like courtesy. You know, um, I think of like, I don't know, holding the door for someone is, and it's bigger than that. Not to put down anyone who holds doors. That's awesome. Keep it up. Um, but this is driving us toward humility. Again, Christians should show true humility toward all men. Christians should show true courtesy toward all men. This humility expresses itself, not just to the people you like, but to all people. This word courtesy, it's not just this outward pleasantry, like I know how to smile when I'm mad, all right? It's deeper than this. It's so much more. It means, I I saw this in a commentary, and oh, it hurt. Um, So I want to pass the hurt on. It says, to have the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. <laughs> to have the quality of not being overly impressed with your own self-importance. Let me remind you again, have this mind that's ours in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It is amazing how often I can walk around overly impressed with my sense of self-importance while my Savior chose to empty himself. See the disconnect there? It's amazing how many times I can believe that the world revolves around me, at least my world does, when Jesus, the only person around whom the world does revolve, emptied himself. Church, we are called to be like Christ, to have his mind, a mind of true humility. And let me say it again, this is not new. You see this all throughout Scripture. You see this. We talk about this constantly. This is not new, but it doesn't claim to be new. It claims to be a reminder because our God knows how forgetful we are. 
So he says it again. They need to hear it again. We need to be reminded again. Remind them to be submissive to their rulers and authorities. Remind them to be obedient. Remind them to be ready for every single good work. Remind them to speak evil of no one. Remind them to avoid quarreling. Remind them to be gentle. Remind them to show perfect courtesy or humility toward all people. Remind them again. And I want to finish our time with a reminder of what what is at stake here. The heart of Titus, this letter, Paul is concerned with how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. And at the heart of it, it's not talking about some idealized life, some ideal world. It's not some sanitized world that Titus and that Paul is dealing with. Paul is dealing with how we can live our lives as followers of Jesus in this present age, at this time, in our real world, in the way that things are right now, in a community who does not believe in Jesus, in a community who does not believe in what you believe, in a community that does not agree with what Scripture says, in a community that does not value what you value. How do you live for Jesus in that world? That is what Titus is showing us. In other words, it's not some high and lofty life. It's not the life of a monk. It's not the life of someone who's just completely naive Titus is about the real gospel impacting real life. That's what it's about. That's what's at stake here. What would happen this week? What would happen this week if all of us were just to focus on the first two chapters, or two chapters, two verses of chapter three? What would happen? There are seven reminders what would happen if this week we lived with these seven reminders on our mind? I want to invite you to do something with me. You don't have to. Um, seven reminders. I was thinking there's seven days. What would happen if every day I was reminded about one of them? And I'm honestly not all that creative, and I thought, Reminders, that sounds like my phone. So what I did is set up a reminder just every day for each one of these. That Monday to submit to authority. Tuesday, remind Justin to be obedient. Wednesday, remind him to be ready for every good work. Thursday, remind him not to slander. Friday, remind him not to argue. Saturday, remind him to be gentle. And Sunday, remind him to be humble and courteous. What would it look like if every one of us were reminded of these things this week? In our homes, in our offices, in our schools, in our community? Because church, this is what living out the real gospel in real life looks like. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true today as it was true then. We thank you that your word is our authority and on it we stand in confidence. 
God, I thank you for the way that you have lovingly reminded us this morning. And I pray that if there is anyone here who has not yet responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, I pray that before we do the work of remembering, I pray that you would do the work of illuminating and that you would make the gospel come alive in this moment. That you would remind us that it is not about how good we are, that it is not about earning forgiveness, it is not about earning anything, it's about looking to Jesus who accomplished it all. A hundred percent. I pray that you would just open our eyes to that this morning. And I also pray that for, for all of us who have responded to the gospel, who are following Jesus, that as your word says, that we would put on his mind, that we would have his mind. And that we would be reminded of these things. I pray that as we leave this place, that you would remind our forgetful hearts. That you would remind our distracted lives. And that you would show us that true impact, true shalom in our community is found in the simple things. So remind us of those things. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we will be light in the darkness. And that, as Jesus said, that they will see our good deeds and they will praise our Father. So we give you glory and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.